you guys, and welcome back to another episode of Illuminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And today I am going to tell you another story. In 2003, Swedish-born philosopher Nick Bostrom shook the world with his philosophical quarterly article in which he outlined his theory on how we basically all live in a simulation. In the article, he argued three points. One, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Two, any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history. And three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. It follows that the belief that there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-humans who run ancestor simulations is false, unless we are currently living in a simulation. So, what does this mean? Today, on Berluminati, we are going to dive into the deep world of simulations. Do we live in one? Would we know if we were living in one? And, does it even matter? Dum, dum, dum. I don't know. Does it? I mean, my anxiety says that it does. <laughs> I agree. So I don't know. <laughs> so maybe it does matter. We'll figure it out. Yep. But before we figure it out, let's talk about beer. Jake, what are you drinking? All right. I have gone all the way to the weird, weird town of Portland, Oregon, which, as you know, is weird. Extremely weird. <laughs> have you ever been to Portland? No. It's a cool. It, it's weird, but it's cool. It's a fun town. So... I am drinking a rogue bat squatch, uh, hazy India pale ale. This would have been perfect to read on, to drink on the, the skunk ape. Yeah. Yeah. The skunk yeah. ape episode. The yeah. bat squatch. We should have drank Yeti stout and bat yeah. squatch. I yeah. Feel. I regret, I regret not doing that. I know. Maybe we can go back and edit those and just punch in the right beers. We could. We could. I, I, nobody would notice. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, uh, the Bat Squatch, so the Rogue Bat Squatch, the image is this really amazing, well-drawn picture of a drooling Bat Squatch beast uh, kind of slinking through the darkness of a starry night with a bunch of pine trees in the back. It's like if the Sasquatch was blue. Well, it's like if if a... If a if a Bigfoot yeah. got bit by a radioactive bat yes, that's and where we're turned going into a blue Batman yes. Yeti. Yeah. It beast. also kind of reminds me of the Bob's Burgers, the Beef Squatch. Did you ever see that episode? No. Uh, it's, it just <laughs> the just Google Beef, beef Squatch. It's it's amazing. Okay. Um, so at the t- at the uh, on the can it says uh dedicated to the legend of the Bat Squatch. And then uh, on the back it says Dare Risk Dream. And then there's a little almost unreadable paragraph here that says, for years, rumors have circled that deep in the woods on Mount St. Helens lives the fabled bat squatch, which we learned all about what actually lives in Mount St. Helens. Oh, yeah. While there are many tales of bat squatch, they are all a bit hazy on the details, which makes the truth such a juicy mystery. See how they're using the beer words? In yeah, there? I see that. Uh, <laughs> um. So what better way to honor the legend than with a hazy, juicy IPA, perfect for camping and potentially making a brand new friend. And then there's this little like star that shows that 
This beer is tropical, malt, citrus, bitter, and pine, and it shows how they kind of meet together. Um, and it says pair it with white cheddar, grilled salmon, or strawberry shortcake, which are all big things that I bring when I'm camping. Definitely. Yeah. Well, cheddar I would bring camping. I, I mean, I would bring cheddar anywhere. It's yeah. Just, that's just a thing I would do. All right. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What are you drinking over there? Okay. So I am back in North Carolina with a brewery that we have talked about before. Have we? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm we have sure. because we talked about one of their tart pops. Yes. And my plan was as they release more was to come back and do the raspberry sherbet oh, with the yeah. with the tart pop in it. I think we've done a couple other trophy things. Yeah. 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 So my plan I know well, we, I still have the raspberry sherbet in my freezer, so we're oh, gonna perfect. do that at some point. Which will be perfect for summertime because that'll be a perfect summertime drinky drink. But this I have I have never heard of or seen before, but I was in the local Total Wine, which fucking blew me away because I did not realize just how much beer this place had. People told me they had <laughs> beer, but I assumed Total Wine had the Total Wine and not a totally ridiculously huge selection of fuck tons of beer. If you're super into wine, you would feel the same way about their wine selection. Yeah. It's pretty great. Like, I just did not realize when I walked in this place, it was going to have three entire <laughs> aisles floor to ceiling of all craft beer. <laughs> like from a fucking noble of beer. Yes. I had to stop by to grab some bottles of wine for something and somebody told me they had beer. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll go look around and see what kind of beer this total wine has. And then I get back there and I had to text my buddy, bro, I'm going to be late. <laughs> I spent an hour just walking around looking and touching all the beers. I think I was, you called me and I think I was making dinner or something at the time. Yeah, and I called it, you because I had asked you a question. Because you were in, lost. Yeah, because I was in the total <laughs> wine last, yeah. Um, but anyways, so what I have is a trophy beer, which is brewed right here in Raleigh, North Carolina on Maywood, which is in walking distance of my old house. And I used to go down to this brewery and uh, get smash hammered all the time. <laughs> uh, but now I live kind of far away, so I don't go. But um, I had never heard of this beer, seen this beer before. And so I saw it as I was walking around. I picked it up, looked at it, and I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll get one. So what I have is the Do the Work Modern IPA from Trophy. It is 6.7% ABV, and the can is extremely basic. So it's basically standard aluminum 16-ounce can. And beat to hell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to get to that. This can was the very last one of this beer at this Total Wine, and this one looks like it's been hit by a bat. It has seen some shit. So I don't know if like this one got knocked off the pallet and rolled around the back or somebody stepped on it or <laughs> kicked it or threw it on the ground or what. And then what. they found it and they were like, sell this immediately. Yeah, and, and then they found it and sold it. But it's crazy because this one was canned January 21st of 2021. So not that long ago, but three, this can three looks months ago, beat yeah. to shit and I paid yeah. full price for it. So, And you did pay full price for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the very last one. So I was like, oh shit, there's no more. Yeah, but, and I, I would have done the same because I've never seen that particular beer. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't either. Um, but it, I mean, it follows most trophy cans. It's just an aluminum can, has a stick on label, has white on the bottom, has their art on the top, which says do the work and like a script. And then it's this very nice green color that actually really, I think I have this color tattooed on me somewhere actually. <laughs> um, and then it has like some ears with like little listening things, a little brain, a little heart, some 
light bulbs and books and I don't know weird yeah. I don't know weird stuff. The art was done by Edith Gray. If you want to check okay. her out on Instagram, it's Edith underscore Gray. Um, and then it says drink trophy beer on the side. And the description, literally all they have about this beer on here is it is a modern IPA with lime zest. And that's it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be because quote unquote modern IPA. Like I feel like sometimes that's code word for broody stuff. Y- yeah. I and I thought that. that's what you were going like to get. Brute-esque. Yeah. I thought, it was, I thought you were going to get a cup of champagne with some lime zest in it. That's what I thought was going to pour out of there. And that's, and I was going to think that because I hadn't heard of this beer. So probably people didn't love it because it kind of vanished pretty quick. Yeah. I, but, yeah, I don't know, but that's not what it looks like at all. No, I mean, pineapple juice. It, cause typically those brute E type beers are very, or IPAs. They're very like white. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? As far as an IPA goes, where they're typically kind of an orangey color. Right, it's like, right. think of that, but like kind of a whitewashed orange. Yeah, yeah. And this is not like that. It's, it looks like a little bit darker orange juice, like orange pineapple juice is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. And when I first opened the beer and I kind of smelled it, it smelled kind of funny. I took a sip off the, I poured it into my glass and yeah. I took a sip off the can. And the first thing I thought was, Fuck that tastes weird. <laughs> yeah. Super weird. And I got this very metallic, metal-y kind of flavor off of it. And I was like, I wonder if that's this can. If this can just has like a weird metallic kind of flavor to it. It was definitely the can. Yeah. Drinking out of this glass now, the warmer this beer gets, the more flavor I'm getting out of it. Interesting. When okay. it was cold, it had this extremely oily, citrus peel yeah. kind of like if you take an orange and you go to bite into it and you get that weird like oily yeah. peel flavor on the back. I can see how that kind of taste comes through in a, when a cold when it's colder. Yeah. And that's basically all I got huh, was okay. just this like oily peel kind of flavor. But now that's kind of warmed up a bit a bit, which it's still cold. Um, but it's warmer than, you know, coming right out of my fridge drawer. Sure. Um, I mean, I would say it's very like Average New England non-citrus IPA. Middle of the road. Yeah, where it's like instead of having a very bright, very clean orange or grapefruit or pineapple or something like that in it, it's just kind of like baseline good. And then there's this like little shot at the end where you get some lime flavor. Okay. Yeah. I can like, see that. It's with very the zest. hard to explain. Yeah. It's just, a, it's very weird. Like, it's very drinkable, but I mean, Jake has completely finished his Basquatch and I still have <laughs> half of this beer left and I smash beer. Yeah. So, yeah. like, like when I record with a beer that I like, I am done by this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and so again, this is just another one of those ones where I'm like, this is not bad. It's just not where you want it to be. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't, and I don't know that I really even had an expectation of what this was going to be like. Cause modern IPA kind of throws me off. I don't really know what that means. What does that Same. mean? I don't, I don't really know what that description is. You, you know, know what I mean? Cause like when you say New England, I know what I'm getting. When you say West Coast, I know what I'm getting. Right. You know what I mean? When you, if you just say blanket IPA, I can probably guess. Yeah. What the fuck is a modern <laughs> IPA? Well, and that's why, that's why my thought was, Basically, that it would be like a brute kind of thing, because I when I feel like when I feel like you know 
modern new IPA. I think of the more like weird contemporary things. Yeah, I mean, this definitely has a very brute IPA smell to it, but then it also has a very limey smell to it too. Like when I smell it, it just smells like a non-pine. It's like a like a very much less citrusy New England IPA. It's like take a New England IPA, take all the citrus out. Yeah. It smells like that. And then it also has this like liminess to it. And then when you drink it, it just basically tastes like a very smooth drinkable IPA with this little bit of like almost kind of like fake lime flavor. Okay. It's like a... You know how lime Coke has that like fake lime flavor in it or yeah. like a like almost chemical, a little chemically. Yeah. Like this isn't quite chemically, but it definitely in that direction. It's like, you, you know what a Bud Light, you know, Bud Light Lime. Yeah. This has the same flavor as Bud Light Lime. Okay. Hmm. Except it doesn't taste like Bud Light. It's, it'd be like if Bud Light made an IPA and they made Bud Light IPA <laughs> that, Lime. Yeah. <laughs> this is like that. It's kind of like okay. that. Fair. All right. Like it's again, it's not bad. Yeah. It's just like I'm kind of I don't really know what to think about it. Is it like when you get those um, Tostitos, and then you get the Tostitos with the hint of lime? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, it's just like that. This is New England IPA without being a New England IPA with no citrus <laughs> and a hint of lime. It's okay. exactly like that. Okay, fair. You you nailed it. Yeah, that's what I do. That's it. <laughs> I just have such a hard time with beers like this because I, I want to try and give you guys a really accurate representation of what I think it tastes like. Yeah. And sometimes these beers just throw you. I really just don't know what to fucking tell you. It just tastes like a very generic IPA with a hint of lime. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. I think it'll be interesting because we're going to start digging into some beer history stuff for Patreon where we're going to be laying out some of the histories of beer and the different types and the different structures of them. Yeah. And we'll have all that on Patreon and easy to digest kind of little packets. Yeah. And so I think once we really start getting into that stuff, we're going to be doing things like laying beers out and talking about them and, and doing all that stuff pretty soon. So yeah, that'll be exciting. We're looking at doing another series too, where we interview the owners of breweries and their brewmasters, which will be great. And then ask them weird questions. Questions about whether they believe fucked up conspiracies or not. Yeah. We'll talk to them about beer for about 45 minutes and then we'll just grab and be like, where do the fucking aliens live? <laughs> do you believe in flat earth? Because if you do, we're out of here. Globalist. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that will be, those will be extremely beer centric. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It'll be the flip flop of this where it's for sure 90% beer. And then for about five minutes, we're just going to be like, so what's up? Do you think? Yeah. Our brains live on the space station or what? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that stuff. Um, otherwise, I don't really have anything else to say about this beer, but I am very interested in talking about simulation theory. So let's talk about that. Let's get into that. Yeah. So Nick Bostrom, the Swedish philosopher we were talking about in the opening, explains his simulation theory in more human language here. He says, One thing that later generations might do with their super powerful computers is run detailed simulation of their forebears or of people like their forebears, basically ancestors, because their computers would be so powerful they could run a great many such simulations. 
Suppose that these simulated people are conscious, as they would be if the simulations were sufficiently fine-grained and if a certain quite widely accepted position in the philosophy of mind is correct. So what he's saying is, will humans, if they reach such an advanced state, will they actually run simulations of what their ancestors did? Yeah. So the question is, you know, if we had that power right now, would we run simulations of what Neanderthals did? You know, would we see how Neanderthals tackled climate change? Is that something we would look at? I mean, we already do simulations now where like there's a whole YouTube channel or this thing on History Channel about it where they'll take like they put a samurai up against a 1300s Viking and they're like... Which is an amazing show. Who wins (laughs) in a fight based on their size, their strength, their weapons, the technology, all this stuff and they run all the numbers against each other and then they're like... The Eskimo one, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. He's quick and wily. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we do simulations like that now. But what we're talking about here is basically full blown matrix level simulations, universe level simulations. Yes. You know, yeah. Where think of it as the Big Bang is them turning on the simulation. Yeah. So then six billion years later, we're crawling out of muck. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. So that's what this kind of is. So it's then possible to argue that if this were the case, we would be rational to think that we are likely among the simulated minds rather than among the original biological ones. So therefore, if we don't think that we are currently living in a computer simulation, we are not entitled to believe that we will have descendants who will run lots of such simulations of their forebears slash ancestors. So. If you believe that we're not in a simulation, then you don't think that the human race advances further. That's kind of the Than where we are now. Right. Or at least a little bit further down the road than we are now. Okay. Which, you know, nuclear war, the Clintons, you know, things happen. Yeah. (laughs) The Clintons have already (laughs) happened and are still happening. Basically, if we evolve, there's no need to run simulations on Homo sapiens because we have evolved. Just like we don't waste a lot of time running simulations on how Homo erectus or Homo neanderthalensis would deal with climate change or pandemics. So since our very smart descendants are still Homo sapiens, but with better computers, we probably exist in a simulation because they will be running an endless amount of them. And that's just how statistics work. Okay. Are you following along? Kind of. Kind of. It's a little weird. So it's basically down the road, if we're still Homo sapiens. Yeah they're going to be running crazy amounts of computer simulations. Okay. Now, if you look at the amount of simulations run, the flat out idea is that there's so many simulations being run that we're more statistically likely to be part of a simulation than not. Okay. Which is just kind of a weird idea. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Since Bostrom's article came out in 2003, there's been a lot of intense debate about whether or not he's right or just completely full of shit. Because like that is kind of a weird idea. Yeah, you know, you're just saying it's pretty out there to just come up with this one out of nowhere and be like, (laughs) it's like that interview with Bill Gates in the 70s or whatever, who's like, think about what we'll be doing with computers in 30 years. We'll have mice. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And maybe a connected network of computers that give us information. Yeah, and this is over here like. 
no, in the future, <laughs> you don't exist and I don't exist. Everything that's happening right now is in the simulation and the simulation has caused me to think that, you know, and then your yeah. brain explodes and you have horrible anxiety. Right. And then you lay down at night and that's when you have <laughs> the doom wave hit you and you have horrible like, I don't exist. I'm going to, and you know what I mean? And then you have to sit up and wait for your gap up and to kick in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's it's that is the question, right? So there are a lot of people that agree with him, you know, for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that think he's an idiot. So a lot of other people way smarter than me have gone on to refine his theories and they now think that after examining everything he said and kind of crunching the data and looking at everything, they pretty much came up with the idea that we pretty much have a 50/50 shot of being in a simulation. Okay. Uh, physicist Frank Wilczek has argued that there's too much wasted complexity in our universe for it to be simulated. He says creating complexity requires energy and time. And why would a person smart enough to run simulations that could be our homes waste time with those complexities? It's a fairly good question, but if the simulation creators are advanced enough, it's kind of a moot point, right? What Frank considers a complexity could just easily be made data. You know, it's kind of like uh, Westworld season three, where uh, Maeve realizes she's in a in a simulation and she starts asking the other people, you know, what is the square root of one times the square root of one or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, and she breaks down the computing power and then figures out it's a simulation because it starts to slow down and glitch out. Right. So we're, that's what we're going to get into exactly. Right. And, and my only hang up with there is of all the things that have happened in life, there's no perceivable slowdowns or glitch outs. Or are there? Right. And so I, and I guess that's the question, right? <laughs> yeah. Is if there are slowdowns and glitch outs cause, or whatever, what are they? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in the Matrix and in that, you know, universe, they explain it as, you know, magic and deja vu and the existence right. of vampires and all the, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. They're glitches in the code. They're, you know, whatever. And could that translate to our own world? I mean, if that's kind of a situation. Yeah. But then are there other things like plank length and speed of light and all these different things that like can make up those things? Yeah. So uh, that comes to what about observable data and empirical evidence in our own universe? Computing hardware operates within certain rules. And the main one is processor speed. You can have the fastest computer on the planet, but it'll hit its top limit at some point, no matter how much you overclock it. Right. So this is going into the article we talked about. Um, you know, for example, in GTA 5, you can mess with the NPCs, bend the rules of physics, and even deploy cheat codes. But when you go too far, the game starts glitching out. You can have all the stars lit up during a chase, but when the army starts piling in with tanks and you have invincibility turned on, the game starts lagging, creating errors and crashing. Well, I definitely don't have invincibility turned on because my back hurts. <laughs> but I mean, have you ever done GTA five where you turn on invincibility and you just basically let the army and the FBI and everybody just pile on top of you and explode? No, really? You never did that? No, I never played GTA five. Oh, okay. Well, four, I mean, or no, no. Okay. I think the, the first and last one I ever played was GTA two, the top down. Oh, one. wow. The last one they did top down on. You're missing out. I know. I've, I figured. All right. I did do a lot of using cheat codes in twisted metal too, though. I mean, it's a similar, it's a similar thing. Is I, I remember those codes too. <laughs> so if you have a PlayStation and you're playing Twisted Metal 2 and you need a cheat code, I'm going to give you 
the two best ones go. right now. All right, do it. And this is actually combining codes, which was really cool about the code of Twisted Metal 2 because you could do multiple cheat codes at the same time. Okay. Which was awesome. So you hold the L2, uh, you hold the L1 and R1 buttons, and you hold the L2 and R2 buttons at the same time, and you do up, down, left, right, right, left, down, up. Okay. And that gives you invincibility, unlimited ammo, and super guns. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, because typically you'd have to hold just L R1 and L1 and do that code, and then it would give you the invincibility, and then you hold L2 and R2 and do the same code. It gives you the other two. But in this case, if you do them all at the same time, it gives you all of them at the same time. Wow. And then if you wind up in a situation where a bunch of people are fighting you, does the game lag and get shitty? Or was it since it's yes. PS2? Was yeah, it definitely. If you had like tw- if you had like all the other cars on top of you. Yeah. So at the very end of that game, you had to fight Dark Tooth, which okay. was like Sweet Tooth's dad or some garbage. <laughs> and if you had like the infinite napalm and you Dark Tooth was just on top of you firing weapons, like literally right. he could be sitting on top of you, just like crushing <laughs> you. And just like weapons are going everywhere and you're over here just like firing infinite napalms at him right. or whatever. Yeah, the game would like slow down and start sure. to glitch out, do weird shit. Yeah. And so what what the game is doing is that it's trying to enforce its simulated laws of physics. But with all these hundreds of explosions of vehicles converging into this one single spot where you're sitting, it starts to quickly fall apart. We don't see this happen in, quote, real life because we don't have cheat codes that can warp the simulation's enforced laws of physics. Uh, or do we? Or do we? It's called mushrooms. <laughs> which, yes, very good example. <laughs> um, which, which I don't get into that, but this that is a whole episode we should do. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, because I mean, between the mushrooms and LSD, I have definitely messed with the enforced laws of physics. Yeah, but uh, let me ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever done MDMA? Yeah. Don't. Uh, oh, shit. I was going to say, don't answer that question. Oh. I was trying to do the Joe Rogan thing. What's the Joe Rogan thing? Have you ever done MDMA? He asks like every person who comes on his no, show. No, that. he asks DMT. Is that what he says? Yeah, yeah. It's always DMT. Ah, damn it. I yeah. don't listen to enough Joe Rogan. Okay. You it, you have you ever done DMT? It's the, it's the God molecule. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. It's the <laughs> Y'all call me dumb because I said MDMA and said DMT, but whatever. But to be fair, MDMA is a better drug. So it's, I'll take your word for it. So <laughs> here's a little example of how, you know, the cheat codes and the warping the simulation works from uh, an example from Scientific American Magazine where they say, a 64-bit processor would perform a subtraction between 7,862,345 and 6,347,111 in the exact same amount of time that it would take to perform a subtraction between 3 and 1. In the physical world of the processor, where the computer that's running the simulation exists, the difference in scale between these two numbers is completely irrelevant. 7 is just a number of codes, you know, the 7 million numbers, just a bit of codes as the number three is a bit of code. So it doesn't matter. It's just doing this versus that. Right. But in simulated reality, the numbers are vastly different and the simulated humans have to actually work to make that number happen. Right. So it slows down the actual interaction and processor. Right. Like I don't even know the number you said. It mind boggled me as soon as you got past 7 million. And it doesn't matter because whatever's written here, I wasn't even reading what was written here. I was making up numbers. I just know it's like (laughs) it was 7 million and I just started making up numbers because I didn't feel like staring at it. But anyways, uh, the question is, is there a way for us to see our simulated processor speed? Is this something we can envision, look at, and 
you know, even interact with. Yeah. My initial response would be no, because I think about the world in a more, right. you know, in a more human kind of, you know, what's immediately around me, physical space type perspective. But I read this article, so I know right. that the answer is yes. Right. And the surprising answer to that question is... We'll get into that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So within the abstract world of program mathematics, the processing speed of operations per second has to be observed, felt, experienced, and noted as an artifact of underlying physical computing machinery. The person within the simulation would not understand processing speed except as some sort of upper limit that can never be broken. So if we do exist in a simulation, we too have to have some sort of achievable but not conquerable upper limit of speed. And we do, which is the speed of light. Correct. 186,282 miles per second, 670,616,629 miles per hour, or circling the entire Earth seven and a half times in a second. That's how fast the speed of light is. That's fast. It's pretty fast. It's pretty damn fast. And according to Einstein, it's unbreakable. And who's going to go against Einstein? He had a big old brain. I mean, we are because there's all kind of fun science theories out there about bending space and folding space and creating wormholes. Fuck Einstein. (laughs) Yeah, fuck that dude. Because you know what? Hyperdrives and doing the Kessel Run in 13 parsecs or whatever that number was. That shit. Some amount. I don't remember. But there are amount of parsecs. Uh, There have been some theories that we can travel faster than the speed of light, but the reality is it's never been tested in any way. You know, we realistically as humans, we haven't, I mean, we're barely getting off this rock. We're we're not testing the speed of light in any way, shape or form. So a fun fact about even testing the speed of light. Yes. We can't. Right. And why is that? Because so to test any one variable in a you know, 360 degree XYZ plane like we live on in the real world. Are you saying the earth is flat? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um, So to be able to test any one thing, you need to be able to actually test the thing in a single direction. Right. We do not have the technology or the ability to test the speed of light in a single direction. It's impossible. We can't do it. Right. There's too many factors at play. Like, gravity, time dilation, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff like that, that make it impossible for us to test the speed of light in a singular direction. And I, I think we've talked about this on this show before a little bit. Yeah. Where we only have the ability to test the speed of light in a bi-directional test. Right. Yeah. So you have to test the amount of time it takes for it to get to one point and the amount of time it takes to get back. And that's because due to time dilation and curvature of the earth and gravity and all this shit, we can't test the speed in one direction. It's impossible. We have to do the math. We have to shoot a beam out. It hits a thing. It comes back. We do math. Speed of light. Yeah. Which I think we've done some of this stuff with the moon. Like there's a reflector on the moon or something. I don't know that one. Okay. I, just know I might that, be making that up like the photographer thing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just know that even with testing the speed of light, like there's just so many variables that go right. in and the further away your mirror gets and then you have these sensors and there's a maximum to the amount of speed of the cables that transmit and the curvature causes problems with the mirrors. Yeah. And there's just all this shit. And like the further away, the more time dilation you have. And you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And so like... 
even calculating the speed, which we take the speed of light as a granted now that very smart people have done these tests and they're pretty fucking sure it is what Jake said it was. But we don't actually know 100% sure. We're making very easy to make leaps in logic to say, yes, what we've decided the speed of light is is true, but we can't actually 100% with entire certainty know that because we can't test it in a single direction. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying, you know, Taco Bell won't make you sick. And you go there and you eat it. It's okay. But then it might make you sick. Right. <laughs> am I? Am I not? <laughs> it's like uh, um, the cat. The cat? Oh. Schrodinger's cat? Schrodinger's cat. You know, yeah. it may exist, but it may not exist. It may be alive. It may be dead. You don't know. Right. So it does. That's it, more it, of a moral test. Right. Though. But it offers this question of, of if we have this set as our upper limit, yeah. What does that mean? So what does that mean? Right. Can we posit what is above that? Can we think about those things that are, you know, if there's nothing faster than that, why not? Right. And I think in this particular case, if we're talking about the speed of light, the only way that we can really quote unquote break the speed of light is by cheating essentially, which is where these theories of bending space. Like wormholes and shit. Right. Because the idea of a wormhole basically is like, if you think about space as a flat sheet of paper, right? Yeah. The only way for you to get from point A, which is on one side of the paper, to point B, which is on the other side of the paper, any faster than the speed of light, which is a straight line, right? is for you to fold the paper in half, poke a hole through the paper, and go through the paper. Right, which is That's, a cheat code. Yeah, which yeah. Is, yeah, exactly, which is essentially a cheat code. Yeah. We are breaking the law of speed of light by not traveling in a straight line. We're traveling through the paper by yeah. folding it in half. And so, like, I'm not the smartest dude in the world. And, like, I just read some basic you know, kind of articles about this and yeah, and looked at the high-level theories of it and kind of read what those were. And I didn't find any evidence that there is even experimental thought beyond that. Yeah. You know, yeah. So there's no one saying we're going to go the speed of light plus one. Right. So back to this kind of uh, the Scientific American article that I mentioned before, space is to our universe what numbers are to the simulated reality in any computer. Matter moving through space can simply be seen as operations happening on the variable space. If matter is moving at a thousand miles per hour, then a thousand miles worth of space is being transformed by a function or operated upon every second. If there were some hardware running the simulation called space, of which matter, energy, you, me, everything is a part of, then one telltale sign of the artifact of the hardware within the simulated reality space would be a maximum limit on the container size for space on which one operation can be performed. Such a limit would appear in our own universe as a maximum speed or the speed of light. Obviously, we have no idea what hardware our simulation is running on. You know, if it is a simulation, we don't know what they're doing. Probably some sort of like crystal structure somewhere. It's probably not running on my X. No. MSI X58 MOBO upstairs. <laughs> probably not. It's probably like either like a blob of liquid in a jar or some sort of uh, like Superman crystalline structure in the Tower of Isolation. It's not running on an Intel Xeon 10 million processor? No, probably like a Gateway 386 <laughs> with, with the RAM boost. Yeah. But the speed of light is not the only indication here. There's also the question of our consciousness. What purpose does it even serve? 
There are no real evolutionary advantages to having a conscious, and it can be shown as neutral or negative at best in any example you kind of pull up. Consciousness is a product we create and maybe not entirely for ourselves. So we don't have any real dominant theory on why we are conscious beings, but if we accept that we're in a simulation, it finally makes sense. We create this product of consciousness that we have no use for and only serves as an experience for the simulation's creator. Just like in The Sims or GTA, we can, quote, zoom in on single entities and experience their reality or their consciousness. The non-player character gets nothing but stimulus from their interactions, but we are given a fully new witnessable experience by watching and interacting with them. So if we were the grand simulation creators, then consciousness is entirely for us and was written into the simulation all along. Simulation hypothesis really is the ultimate conspiracy theory, though. The mother of all conspiracy theories, the one that says that everything, with the exception of nothing, is fake and a total conspiracy designed to fool our senses. All of our worst fears and powerful forces at play controlling our lives unbeknownst to us have now come true. And yet, this absolute powerlessness, this perfect deceit, offers us no way out in its reveal. All we can do is come to terms with the reality of the simulation and make of it what we can. So with that being said, let's look at some of the different kinds of evidence and questions of living in a simulation and what those can be. Okay, let's. All right. So first, Mandala effect. Do you know what this is? Yep. Okay, what is it? All right, so basically what the Mandala effect is, is it's where you essentially have false recall. Right. And But you think that it's true. Like, right. the bear, like a really good example is when you see a picture of a Berenstein's Bears oh, right. book yeah, yeah. now, yep. your memory recalls it being a different text, it being spelled slightly differently. Yeah, I think it was Stain, Berenstein Bears or something. Yeah. yeah. And but now when you look at one, it's Berenstein Bears, and basically like people are like, No, I remember it being Berenstein Bears, not Berenstein Bears right. as a kid. And but there's essentially no proof of it ever being right the other way. Yeah. And you can log into, you know, Reddit or some of these other websites and people go pretty deep on this, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, now there's hundreds of examples and I would say a good amount of them. If you just put 30 seconds of research into it, they're stupid and don't matter. Yeah. But there are some that stand out that are kind of interesting, you know? So one of, one of the big ones is who it's named after Nelson Mandela. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. A good portion of people remember this guy dying in prison in, in the 1980s. Yeah. But uh, the truth is he, he was out of prison. It was 2013 when he died, you know? Right. And so everybody has, has this false memory and gain consciousness. And there was another prominent leader who died in the eighties. So maybe people mix it up. Um, you know, and the other one is uh Sinbad was in some genie movie in the, in the nineties. There was the fruit of the loom. There was no actual loom in the background. There's the VW logo. Um, the monopoly guy had a monocle. There's a bunch of these things over and over again. And if you go on, there's a, the subreddit is uh, R Mandala effect. If you go in there, they just have it categorized in hundreds of others. Yeah. As soon as you said the monopoly guy, I had to sit and think for a second. I was like, didn't the monopoly guy have a monocle? So apparently he didn't. Well, and that's kind of what I think now. And this is part of it. Like if you actually stop and think for a couple of seconds and 
you can probably make your way to be like, okay, if right. I re- if I was five when I read Berenstein Bears right. the last time, right. and now I'm forty, right? Your recall is probably garbage. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm over here like, did he have a monocle? And the only reason I'm thinking that is because, like, I'm trying to imagine him with a monocle, and there right. had to have been some cartoon of some little bald dude with a mustache at some yeah. point with a monocle, yeah. and I'm confusing it. Well, there's Mr. Peanut. I, I, and yeah. I thought that too. I yeah. immediately was like, who's another cartoon dude with a monocle? And I was like, it had to be Mr. Peanut. So I yeah. could have easily confused that. Or any like all I sure. would have had to have seen yeah. is one children's cut children's cartoon. Right. Making some cordo some sort of a like joke about Monopoly. Yeah. And they had the Monopoly guy have a monocle. And, and a that's what you remember. Yeah. And then but it's like I think back now and I'm like no, he just was in a suit with a top hat. Right. And, the, and that's a whole other part of the whole Mandala effect is there's one of them is sex in the city versus sex and the city. And it's sex in the city. Right. So it was, I know that what one. was that an HBO show or something? It was yeah, showtime, whatever it is. I watched and, it before I go to sleep in high school. <laughs> so it's sex it's in the, the city. Yeah. I, I never saw it, but uh, there's also the side uh, merch that comes with any show. And one of the things that is their quote unquote evidence of it being sex and the city at some point is that there's a bunch of knockoff um, kind of Chinese DVDs that were sold in markets in China that had the um, logo of the of the uh, of the show and it said sex and the city or sex in the city. Yeah, you know, versus and so these were knockoffs, but people have taken photos of these and now it's on the internet. And so people Google it and look it up and they see it and they go, well, it's been both ways, but this yeah. is just some knockoff existing in a one-off place, you know? Yeah. Like I feel like there was one about New Balance and there's, they're all, they're really all over the place. And yeah. it's hard when you have so many people come together and argue it and be like, yeah, it's true. And then you question it. Right. You and there's one of them was JC Penny. And in, is it JC Penny or is it JC Penny's? I think was it. Uh, was? I think that is one, but there's also where it's uh, J C Penny and then J dot C dot Penny, and you know the the question was this is going back to the 40s and they were talking about um, newspapers and people are pulling up different newspapers and you know the Poughkeepsie newspaper puts dots in it and the you know Revelingham newspaper in Massachusetts doesn't put dots in it, but it's the 40s. Like these guys have to do this manually. You know, and some will do yeah. it, some won't do it. So it's going to be questionable what exists out there in a photo. Right. Yeah. So anyways, the, the Mandala effect is this kind of interesting thing and it's it's got a weird background. And there's some, I think there's some substance to it that it is kind of weird. But if anything is out there creating quote unquote glitches in the matrix, I think this might be part of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one to me that I personally experience is deja vu. Like the the experience of deja vu, where you'll come into a room and feel like you just walked into the room before. Yeah, or I'll yeah, say sure. a thing yeah. and be like, I've said that before. Or I'll be somewhere and be like, I've been here before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And having that like full-blown, just like almost out-of-body level, why am I here? So I'm going to tell you. Kind of, kind of idea, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to tell you the weirdest experience of deja vu in history, in my personal history. So, okay. I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I lived off commercial, uh, commercial Boulevard. I worked in Miami. I would get on 95 on commercial and I would drive 
And for 10 nights in a row, I had the same exact dream of wrecking my car at Oakland Park Boulevard, which is a couple exits past commercial. Okay. I would get in, go to the left lane. One of my tires would blow out and my car would flip. And then the dream would be over because presumably I would die. Right. I had the same dream night after night after night. And then one morning I woke up, got in my car, drove, got out onto the highway, pulled into the left lane, and my front left tire exploded. And I went completely sideways in my car, and I managed to get it under control, and it didn't flip. And I got off to the side of the road and was able to change my tire and go to work. And I had been telling everyone around me that I was having these weird dreams beforehand. So when it finally happened, people were like, oh, shit. Like they were freaked out by it. Yeah. It was this really weird thing. And I feel like if I didn't have 10 nights of this really wonky, weird dream of where my car was flipping and going out of control, if I wasn't already kind of nervous and anxious about that, I probably wouldn't have been able to keep my car into control. It was a front wheel drive, small car, and the front left tire blew out at like 90 miles an hour in the far left lane. I would have definitely flipped if I didn't have that kind of thought process where I was already worried about it, you know? Yeah. And and like chances are with that, you had another experience or you saw a thing or you walked past your car one day and was like, that tire looks weird. Which is probably what I was consciously worrying about it. Yeah. And my tires are pretty bold. Yeah. To be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And we've talked about dreams a little bit here on this show. And, you know, dreams are a necessary process for your brain to. I agree you know, take what's happened, put it into deep storage, basically in your brain to process emotions that you have all kinds of stuff. So typically emotion or typically dreams are just your brain trying to process motions and putting visual stimuli to that and not some kind of, you know, spacey shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like I 100% agree. Like I could have easily been because I've been a car mechanic my whole life. My first job, I was 13 years old. I was working in mechanics yard. I could have easily been walking past that and been like, hey, dumbass, your tires are pretty bald. You need right. to think about this. Right. And then I was internalizing that anxiety and it was pumping into my dreams at night. You know, it's very yeah. impossible. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Or it was a glitch in the matrix and yeah, something. It was telling you what was coming. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Okay. If we live in a matrix... What is the purpose of aliens? Elaborate on what you mean by aliens. Beings from another world who look completely different than us. My belief is that aliens have to exist because statistically speaking, I personally don't think we're living in a simulation. Yeah. So statistically, given the number of stars even in our very limited amount of research of course, of yeah. space we've been able to do, you know, with telescopes and yeah. tracking radio waves and whatever, you know, statistically with the hundreds of billions of trillions of stars that there are out there, there's going to be one right. with a planet sitting at the right distance to have life right. on it. You know what I mean? And if infinity exists, then we have to, you know, be there too. Right. You know, which brings to We are aliens to somebody else. Exactly. So, I mean, if we do live in a quote unquote simulation, the purpose of aliens is to support the realisticness of the simulation. Yeah, I can see that for sure. 
in a realistic situation based on statistics, yeah. they exist, which means in the simulation, they also have to exist. Which is a part of the the whole Goldilocks range theory. You know, we ex- are the planet Earth exists in the Goldilocks zone, which is not too cold, not too hot, not too bad, not too just know, right. Too, uh, just right. Yeah. So we are in the perfect position to support life. But since our universe is endless and infinite, there are a lot of those things. So is yeah. the alien life a support of the Goldilocks theory that could be built into a simulation? And it's just to support that. Or are aliens some sort of Mr. Smith, like the Matrix, who are there to keep things in order and put stuff back on the rails? See, I don't I don't <laughs> think that that is true because yeah. to me that would be sort of our disproving fact for the skunk ape. Yeah. There's not enough. I could see that for that. sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, when I'm thinking about the statistical likelihood, you know what I mean? Even if the existence of a Goldilocks planet is one in a billion. Right. When there's a hundred million trillion right. solar systems. What was the number from Yada flight, Yada flaps or Yada bites or something that yeah. when I sent you the other day? Yeah, Yoda bites. Yoda whatever. bites, yeah. yeah. When there's that many solar systems out there. Right. It's just too much. Right. Yeah. So many of them have to statistically have yeah. life. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So the next one is an interesting one. And this is one that is kind of interesting if you have played like GTA 5 or like the other game you were talking about. In physics, uh, there's this like famous double slit experiment. Electrons are fired at a photosensitive screen through a slit in a copper plate, usually producing an interference pattern that indicates wave-like behavior. But when the same experiment is conducted under observation, electrons behave like particles and not like waves, and there is no interference pattern. So some have taken this to mean that our simulation is conserving resources and rendering certain things only when it knows we're looking at them. So is there anything in the Marianas Trench if we don't go down there? Could this explain a lack of habitable planets outside of the Goldilocks, you know, theorem? So it's just this thing like, yeah, there are some parts of physics where, you know, if a tree falls in the woods. Doesn't make sound. Right. Yeah, I mean, and this is, and we've talked about a little bit on this show before where I took that class about perception theory. Yeah. And there's like a part of that that's always really interesting to me, and it's this idea of limited recall. Yes. Where it's like if something isn't in front of you stimulating you, you don't think about it. You know what I mean? And that always sounds bad when you think about things that you care about, right? Right. If it's true significant other is not directly in front of you if your parent is not in front of you yeah from your experience in the human condition that person essentially does not exist in your perception field right you know what i mean and this is kind of like that yeah you know what i mean it's like i'm sure somewhere on the planet there's a tree falling right now and it is making noise because that is what makes right. sense you know right. a tree falls it creates waves through the air it makes a sound whether there's somebody there to see it or not but if we're not observing it does yeah exactly right so it's like the question is like 
you know, we've been sitting here creating this podcast. My wife has been upstairs. Right. I'm pretty sure she's been up there doing shit, not right. not existing. Right. You know, just like on a you know typical daily basis. I'm not over here thinking about my parents every two seconds. Yeah. They don't not exist. They're up there doing shit. You know, when you leave to go home, right. Me talking to Jake, you don't stop existing as soon as your car drives yeah. away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, and a lot of times that's a surprise for people when they're like, when they hear that someone thinks about them a certain way. Yeah. They're just like, Oh, I didn't realize that you actually thought about me. Yeah. You know? Or, or it's a, uh, there's a, there's a famous saying I'm, I'm blocking on who said it, what the exact quote was, but it was something along the lines of that. There's two moments when a, when a person finally dies, there's the uh, last breath you breathe and that's your final death. But then your real final death is the last time someone speaks your name or yeah, or thinks about you. Yeah, exactly. Or thinks yeah. about you. Yeah. Same sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then finally, like what kind of, purpose is there to a whole simulation you know some people were summarizing that uh there may be a connection to something like climate change and how it's very convenient that our world is facing this major very coincidentally uh cusp of environmental chaos suggesting that we could very well be some sort of simulation where our uh, ancestors or our future descendants are trying to figure out how we would solve a problem like that so that they can in turn solve that sort of problem. Yeah. Which is, that is one of the ones I've seen most debated online is people talking about whether or not something like that would be true. Yeah. They're doing the simulation to avert nuclear war or avert exactly all these different things, apocalypse or something. Yeah. And my thought is on that is that if they're far enough down the road where they can run those simulations, they've probably already kind of came in contact with those issues. Yeah. Or it's inevitable that we are going to, because if we're in the simulation and that's what they're testing for, yeah, that's where we're going. Yeah. So are we actually part of a giant simulation? It doesn't seem possible to ever really even know this. If there's some super entity that made the simulation, they would do it in a way that you would never actually be able to realize that even your memories and daydreams would be a result of the programming that the super entity has done. So the question of living in a matrix doesn't actually matter because if it's a good simulation, your knowledge of it is pre-programmed and unknowable. But if it's a bad simulation, you're entirely screwed in a completely different manner. If you wake up and realize that you're in a simulation, then the simulation was done by these rank amateurs. And that means that the shitty scientists that have built your simulation is a bad, bad thing. Glitches, degrading artifacts, and sudden resets and deletions are just a few of the horrible things you'll have to deal with if idiots made your own reality, which let's be honest is actually kind of possible. Scientists do a lot of experiments and most of these experiments are a series of failures leading up to a single success. So, Maybe all of those ghosts and hauntings are just code glitches, but maybe we aren't the final simulation. Humanity likes to presume that we are special. The earth revolves around us. Jesus was a white dude. We know everything, but what if we're not special at all? What if we're the first test run of this supercomputer that designs human simulations and they're just trying to work out these glitches? When you look at the scientific process and how experiments work, that is way more likely than us being the stable final simulation that has all the kinks already worked out. 
So uh, good luck out there because it's probably going to fail at any time. I hope not. I kind of like it here. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Is that kind of a dark ending? A little bit. I mean, I feel like we should talk about it a little bit. I think so too. Right, because I don't think we want to leave it on like a dark ending like that. I don't think so either. I think that the idea of simulation theory is very interesting. I think it becoming mainstream through the Matrix, you know, series right. made it very wide. I think it's definitely very weird to think about. It causes me anxiety and stuff like that. But I think it all of this is really just a side effect of people trying to understand and reconcile the human condition. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is just so hard. You know, and and that's just from my perspective, right? Reconciling my own human condition is like so stressful, yeah, and hard for me sometimes. Because like my wife and I are very opposite from each other, right? She wakes up and that's when she feels anxious, and then she goes right. about her day trying to overcome that. Ah, okay. Yeah. I lay down and get smashed by a semi truck full of anxiety. Yeah, every single night my chair goes. Like, yeah, and you know. That just trying to reconcile this whole, like I've always had this kind of feeling that like sometimes in my life I'll be sitting here and all of a sudden it just feels like I am watching myself from behind. Like, I get And that, there's yeah. always been people that have said, you know, they don't feel like they have control over what they're doing. There's this destiny, like they don't are not actually making choices. They're observing the things that are happening right. to them. Stuff just happens and they're yeah. just watching and then there's these questions about, you know, free will versus pre-programmed, you know, um, fate and destiny and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's like, are the decisions you're making really yours or yeah. is somebody else making decisions for you or is, you know, are you doing stuff you were just predestined to do and all this kind of stuff? And those are just very philosophical human condition type debates that if you can't establish a groundedness for yourself to them, then that's what lends to believing this kind of thing. I I totally agree. And I think to expand on that a little, okay. I think I think it's very interesting because when you look at the idea of of living in a matrix, so what you look at is the idea of purpose. You look at your idea of human personal purpose. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? Right. If we're in a simulation we really have no purpose. We're just kind of existing for this thing to kind of happen around us and we don't really know what to do about it. So right. expand that beyond and look at the purpose of something like um, existing in Christianity. So if you're a person who exists in a religious world and you believe in a God and you think that that exists, what you're doing is you're giving yourself up to that purpose. And you believe that there's a higher power that controls everything and you are there to do the whim of that higher power. So, I mean, Christians, on a, on a, if you break it down on a basic basis, they're there to do good. You know, they're there to, you know, recruit new Christians and live a good, healthy life and, and do good things. And say what you will about other religions and other things. They all kind of have the basic, like, don't be a dick. And yeah. And, like let people be nice and live their lives. That is a thing that exists with a lot of other religions. And so when you spread that out, you see that there's this kind of existence across the plane of where people are just trying to give themselves up to a higher power. And if you go even further to that, you look at something like Alcoholics Anonymous. 
you know, what are the rules of Alcoholics Anonymous? You break it down. There's 12 steps. And one of the big steps is that you have to give yourself over to a higher power because you can't control yourself. Yeah. And so that's not just Alcoholics Anonymous. That's Scientology. That's all these other things. I'm not saying that those two are related or, or, or in the right. same realm. I'm just saying there I mean, is there's like 8,000 religions. It's basically it's all of them. Yeah, it's endless. And, and so there is this understanding that people want to have a higher purpose. They want to have a higher being. And how do you easily find that? You easily find that by looking for something bigger to give yourself to. So are you creating your purpose in the format of, I'm a guy who likes to make cool knives. So I make bench-made wonderful knives, and that's my purpose. I'm a guy who paints, so I paint incredible portraits. That's my purpose. So where is your purpose and what do you do? And I think a lot of people who don't find a purpose in other things, such as raising a kid or going to school or, you know, working somewhere or like running a bookstore or doing something, if you don't have those purposes, you can fall into the idea of the matrix is a thing and that is my purpose, is I'm part of the matrix and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would say like if you are struggling with this whole matrix thing, get a hobby. (laughs) I mean, mean, find a new purpose. You know what I mean? And I think about that sometimes. Like I'll just be sitting on my back porch drinking a beer and I'll look up at this guy and I'll think, isn't there supposed to be more to this than what I'm doing or what I'm experiencing? Yeah. And, you know, part of that's just trusting that eventually I'll figure out what that is or... I'll get to the point where life is going to change and I'm going to become a dad or I'm going to release a new music album or, you know, right now it's a lot of doing work, doing the podcast, trying to survive COVID, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and I feel like a lot of human question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very basic human question. And I really personally believe that the simulation does not exist. I can see that. Yeah. And on the basic human question thing, a big part of that is um, when people ask you what you do. You know, what do you do? And in America, we say... Our jobs. I do my job. I do this, I do that. Yeah. And, you know, when I've traveled internationally, I've gone to, like, other countries, people don't answer that way. Yeah. You know, when I've asked people what they do in Iceland, they're like, oh, I hike glaciers. It's like, oh, wow, what does that pay? Yeah. You know, and they're like, no, I spend $1,000 a month doing that. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's a really interesting question too because it's like people ask me what I do. My first thought is not, let me tell you what my job is. Right. You know, but if you ask my wife what she does, probably her first answer is going to be teacher. Yeah. That's how yeah. she kind of identifies herself. Yeah. But to me, I'm like, I'm a husband and I have animals and I yeah write music and I make a podcast and there's all this stuff I do other than what I do to make money. That's not who I am. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. for, for me personally, when people ask what I do, I just, I say I'm a writer. Yeah. You know, cause that's a big part of what I do is I, I write podcasts for us and for other people and, and I do a lot of different other things, but you know, my day job where I make my money, I'm not writing, you know, it's, yeah. I do some writing, marketing copy or whatever, but that's not my job. Um, so it is interesting, but a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people are like, oh, I work at Starbucks and that's what I do. And, yeah. And that's fine. You know, take ownership of what you are and what you do and what you want to become. And I think if you're someone who is sitting around very worried that we live in a matrix and 
not the way you do because that's just like basic anxiety. But if like if you're yeah. someone who spends, not basic anxiety, but that's anxiety. I mean, if you're someone who spends a big portion of your life sitting here and worrying about the construct of the matrix and what all this stuff is and what the simulation is, I think finding a hobby is a way to get out of that, you know, finding yeah. something to do and finding, finding a bigger purpose. And for some people that is God, you know, going to church and doing your thing. Sure. And for some people that's picking up a guitar, you know, so it's, it's really wildly different how other people react to those things. Yeah. Know? And I mean, there's just, if you are really paying attention in my opinion to like what's going around on around you in yeah. life, there are so many things that just, happen or that you experience that are so I'm not going to say miracles but are kind of miraculous or are kind of unexplainable you know what I mean there is this kind of mystery or this kind of spacey mysticism to being alive and you know wonderfulish mysticalishness to the things that can happen around us you know what I mean that just kind of can't really be explained by simulation theory. There's yeah. no reason that that shit would exist. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense, you know? And if you've ever experienced anything that is kind of just like miraculous or whatever, that to me is a really good indicator that, you know, there is some kind of a higher power going on. I'm not going to say it's God or whatever, yeah. but I'm pretty sure it's not some simulation. It, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's, you know, we're we're talking about right now the seasons are changing and all of the trees are opening up and spitting all their pollen out and it's this miraculous thing that's happening and all of us are just talking about how sniffly we are right you yeah. know but it's actually this kind of cool thing because honestly how does a tree just turn into dead bark for you know four months and free solid you know it's like yeah it's how do magnets work you know Science. it's just like it's all this goofy stuff but it's yeah there is a lot of wonder out there for, and you know, it does go beyond obviously trees pollinating, <laughs> which is right, kind, right, of, a, right, kind right. of a stupid example, but there are these kind of deep things out in the universe that are happening that I think it's, I think it's great to, to sit down and think about those things and, and realize that there is life beyond just thinking you're trapped in a matrix. And I think that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, don't feel like you're trapped in some matrix because even if this is a matrix, if this is some simulation, you're never going to know that or not because it's either going to shut off one day and everything's going to turn off and you're going to be gone blank or it's going to keep going throughout your life cycle and keep doing what you're doing and have a good life while you're doing it. Right. I yeah. saw, I saw um, like an, what do they call it on Instagram? An Instagram reel. Yeah. I was flipping through them and it was Will Smith and he was like, had a backpack on he's getting off an airplane and he looks at the camera and he's just like i just had a really good day and he turns back around and he turns back and looks at the camera again and he goes you know what you put enough good days in a row might fuck around and have a good life and i was like yeah will smith that's a really cool message yeah dude. you know that's awesome yeah you know have enough good days in a row you're gonna have a good life and what else can you do yeah and so, if and if you have one bad day or a couple bad days, doesn't make it a bad life. Yeah, just outweigh it with other good days. You know. Yeah. So it's. Is there a simulation? I, I don't, don't think so. You don't think so? I'm iffy. On I mean, it. I don't I mean, know. There's no way for us. To, this is just like the Paul Dinoch thing. There's no way exactly. for us to prove it. There's no way for yep. us to disprove it. But 
I personally don't think so. Yeah. I'm 50 50. I'm with the scientists. I'm 50 50 on this one. Flip a coin on it. Yeah. But I mean, the reality is it doesn't matter. I, yeah. If tomorrow, I don't know, Neil deGrasse Tyson came to my house and was like, we're in a matrix. Like, I'm not going to alter my life. Like, unless he was like, you're the only one that can unplug us. But that's not going to be me. You're Neo. Right. I don't matter. (laughs) So it's going to be like, Hey, we're in a matrix and we proved it. And look, there's a hole in the galaxy where we can see the back of the Microsoft processor. And, you know, in reality, it's not going to matter. Right. I'm not going to change my life for that. Right. So I'm yeah. just going to, I'm going to keep putting together good days and fuck around and have a good life. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, I hope you guys put together a bunch of good days and fuck around and have a good life until next week when there's another Illuminati episode <laughs> for you to listen to. We'll see you soon, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Thank you.